0: It is so wonderful to be here with you today. Uh, I tell you what, it is, uh, this has been an incredible, incredible summer, and by that, what I really mean is unbearably hot for the Upper Peninsula, okay? Um, Humidity, (laughs) like we are just not used to seeing um, here in the UP, and if you, if you, if you if you're from the UP, you understand this, um, that we just, we really, you know, we're not used to this. We talk about loving warm weather, okay? It's just talk, okay? <laughs> That's why we live here. Um, we, we really don't actually uh, necessarily appreciate warm weather, but I'll tell you what, it has been an absolutely beautiful summer. And uh, I'm waiting for my iPad to come up, so I'm just making stuff up as I go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna change that, and we'll see if we. There we go. At least I can get something up. Uh, in two thousand between 2004 and 2010, Lifeway Research conducted a study of 557 churches. And what they found was that 9 out of 10 churches that they studied, and so that, that survey is a big enough to give them an indication about what's happening nationwide, but 9 out of 10 of those churches are either in decline or they're growing at a, a, a rate that is less than the population of their community. Okay, So that is a, that is a, a, very, a very stunning statistic for us as we look at our relationship with the church. And this series that we're going to do is called I Will, and it's really about our relationship with the church. So in light of that statistic, let me ask you a question. Why not just close up shop right now? It's, it's a legitimate question that there's people asking, okay? Okay if if the church is in decline if the church is is not keeping up with the population rate why even bother keeping the doors open because aren't we really just we're just kind of we're we're losing this this battle of attrition because eventually The church is going to become completely insignificant and irrelevant in our culture. And the answer to that question, why why don't we do that, is this. Jesus died for us. Amen? And when we accept him, we become part of the church, his church. And the church is the answer for the world. Did you get that? The church is the answer for the world. So let's take a look at this idea of our relationship with the church. And today, I want to share a message that's called, I Will Function. And I want to start with looking at Jesus and asking the question, What is Jesus' function as it relates to the church and in relationship to the church? The New International uses the the word church 114 times and most often that word is interpreted uh, from the Greek word ekklesia and it means the called out ones. That literally it's like going into the square of a community and calling out those who believe. It's the called out ones. But the first time that word was ever used in the scriptures, it was used by Jesus himself. It wasn't by Paul. It wasn't by, uh, by one of the Old Testament writers. It wasn't by one of the disciples. It was by Jesus himself. And we read one of the two locations from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I want you to look at this with me. And it says, I tell you that you are Peter. This is Jesus' words. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now I want you to really focus on the middle part of that verse, the middle part of that sentence where Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus is telling us that he is the one that is responsible for building the church. He is telling his followers that that not only is he responsible for building it, but that the church belongs to him. Now I got to tell you, as we were as we were singing in that last worship song, the the, the church I don't think has a has a problem focusing on the per the person of Jesus, uh, focusing on the work of Jesus, but we may have a lack of understanding on on Jesus' relationship and function to us as the church. We have been created by Him, and we belong. To him, the Bible uses, and Jesus himself uses the the description that that he is the the groom and that the church is the bride. I love that. Jesus said, my church. He communicates. The church belongs to him. Now, guys, those of you that are married, uh, you already know this. Guys that are not married, let me just give you some counsel this morning. This is uh, premarital counseling if you've not been married. You may not even have a girl, but please, just put this in your pocket. Hold on to this, okay? All right? You may one day be a groom, and she may be your bride, okay? But in the sense of ownership, she does not belong to you, and so don't ever say to her, you belong to me. Okay, you can say it in a romantic sense. Okay, I'm so glad you belong, you know, your heart belongs to me or my heart belongs to you. But listen, just be real careful how you say that. But what Jesus is saying to us is that the church, his bride, belongs to him. Now, I my 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 wife is not sitting by me today. I'm just going to assume we, we had some sick people in the house last night, so I'm assuming that she's home tending to them. I don't know, maybe she's out in the hub. I'm not really sure. Um but but when I look into her eyes and 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 when when we were talking about becoming a husband and wife, you know, I I didn't say I'm going to make you a bride. But Jesus created us to be his bride. Are you with me? He created us and therefore we belong to him. As those who have accepted Christ, who are following him, we belong to him. I want us to look at how Jesus builds his church. I want to look at three ways real quickly here. Number one, Jesus is the foundation of of the church let's look again at Matthew 16 18 he said on this rock I will build my church so who or what is the rock that Jesus is referring to is it himself is it Peter who is he talking about here well, I want you to know something and, and there, some of you maybe even were raised in a particular type of faith that said, you know, what Jesus was talking about was Peter, that Peter's the foundation and then it's going to go up from there and Peter has been given the keys to the kingdom and he's that, that foundation for the church. Okay. But the problem that I have with that is in verse 23, Jesus calls Peter Satan. Jesus isn't going to build his church on Satan. Are you with me? You see that that literally that short little bit of verses there, what happens? Jesus is, is telling his disciples that he's going to die, and Peter said, no, you're not going to die. I'm never going to let that happen. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus didn't build the church on the rock called Peter. What he built the church on was the rock of Peter's confession that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what the church would be built on. Okay, Jesus is the foundation. Matthew 16, 16, Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In Ephesians 2, 20, the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the chief cornerstone. Now, we we moved here 16 years ago from Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is known as the Keystone State. Do you know what that is? Whenever you see an arch made out of rock in Pennsylvania, there will be a special shaped stone right at the middle, and that is called the Keystone. Jesus, however, is called the cornerstone and the chief cornerstone. And when a foundation would be laid, there was one particular stone that was the most important stone, and that stone was the cornerstone. It would be set first. It was of a shape where other stones would be interlocked with it, and it would give you the right grade. It would give you everything for that foundation. It was literally the most important stone. Jesus himself is that stone. Isaiah 28, 16 says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Jesus himself is the foundation of the church and he has been rejected by the world. Jesus is the foundation. The Bible calls him the rock of my salvation. I love the story that we learned in Sunday school years ago about the house that was built upon the sand and when the rains came and the floods came, literally that house was destroyed. But the house that was built on the rock, the rains came, the floods came, and that house stood firm. Why? Because a house that is built on a rock will stand and when our lives are built on the foundation, of Jesus Christ, no matter what comes in our lives, no matter what battles against us, we can stand when our lives are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus is the builder of the church. You say, Well, what's the difference? Well, there, there's a difference. I want you to look again at our, verses, our verse in Matthew chapter sixteen, verse eighteen. Jesus said, "On this rock I will build." So, if Jesus is the foundation, how can he also be the builder of the church? And and if so, how is he actually building the church? I want you to look with me at First Peter chapter two, verses four and five. The Apostle Peter says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at those first few words, as you come to him. As you come to him. When we come to Jesus, he transforms us into living, spiritual, building materials. And what he is building is his church. And you and I are a part of that when, as Peter said, when we come to him. Number three, Jesus is the developer of the church. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2... We read that 3,000 accepted the message of the, that, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Everyday Acts says that that there were people getting saved and being added to the church. In fact, it says more and more men and women were being added to the church as they believed, as they came to Jesus as their Messiah. And when the gospel is preached, Jesus transforms people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he accomplished all of this through the cross. I want you to know something that Jesus not for one moment ever intended that anyone would accept him and not consider themselves part of the church, his church. Do you understand that? We don't get that in our culture. We just think church is optional. It's the truth. That's why nine out of ten churches in in our American culture, our American society, are either in decline or they're not growing above the rate of of the, the population. Why? Because church is optional. We don't need to be a part of a church. If I've accepted Jesus and I'm a believer, that's all I need. Jesus never intended for you to accept him as Messiah and not be a part of his church. In fact, he has declared that you are already part of his church. You're just not recognizing it if you're not part of it. Man, it's getting quiet in here. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but I want us to understand this truth today. That is the idea that you can serve God and not be a part of the church is a lie that is from the pit of hell. It is a lie. It is literally the enemy lying to you because he does not want you to be connected to other believers. He doesn't want you to be encouraged when you get discouraged. He doesn't want you to be able to use your ministry gifts. He doesn't want to use you to touch other He uh, doesn't want you to be able to touch other people's lives. He is lying to you. Jesus never intended for us to come to know him and not be a part of His church. So Jesus functioned. His function is to be the foundation. His function is to be the builder. His function is to be the developer. And the Holy Spirit is out there calling men and women. And he's working through you and I. Why? Because he wants to see more and more men, more and more women, more and more young people come to know Jesus before he returns. So what's my function? If I know Jesus' function, what is my function in the church? See, in order to build his church, Jesus carried out his function even though it cost him his life. So then when I accept Christ and I receive the benefit of what he did for me through the cross, through the resurrection, I've got this lingering question. Does God have some sort of expectation on my life? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Man, a lot of good response there. That's good. Amen. We don't like that. We do not like that. You're telling me, this free gift of salvation that I've accepted, that he has an expectation on my life, get over yourself. Okay, I'm just going to be honest. Somebody at Christmas time gives you a gift and you didn't get one for them and you freak out. Why? I've got to go get them a gift. They've given me a gift, and I did. I did. I never expected that. I've got to run out right now to Target or Kohl's or Menards if it's a guy, and I've got to get them a gift card that is of equal or greater value to what they got for me. I feel so bad if I. Do you, come on, that's the truth. It is when Jesus comes into our lives. There is an expectation upon us that we function in the church, that we function in his body. So let's look at that. Number one, how we function in the body. Number one, we're going to be all about giving rather than receiving. In his 25 years of studying churches around America, Tom Rainer found that the pattern that can consistently, or it does consistently emerge in churches that are in decline. He found one item above all else that emerges in churches in America that are in decline. Here it is. Simply stated, the most common factor in declining churches is inward focus. Number 1 number one characteristic in declining churches inward focus is a characteristic that is best described as thinking of one's self first what do i want what do i need instead of what do others need or what do others want you know, there are some sayings that we have in society that are so good, we think that ought to be in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? And they are. We just, we just didn't realize it. You remember when someone, you're trying to teach your kids about giving and receiving, and you tell them, kids, it's, it's, re- it's better to give than to receive. How many of you ever said that to your kids? Man, that's, that's a good one. All right. That's in the book of Acts. They're quoting Jesus' words that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We need to understand that in our lives that when when it comes to, to being who God has called us to be, we need to be all about giving rather than receiving. One of the greatest lines of presidential quotes that's not a big one, it happened to be made by John F. Kennedy at his inaugural address, January 20th, 1961. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. We need to take that quote and we need to apply that to the church and say, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for the church. Huh? Huh? That's it. Our function. Jesus said in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our function is to give generously and serve wholeheartedly. That's what he's called us to do. Number two, accept that I'm part of the whole. Now, honestly... Those of us that have lived in the UP for a long time, we understand that that uh, the Upper Peninsula as a whole is incredibly—I will even say—terribly independent and self-sufficient. Okay, I think if you took a vote, we would we would become the 51st state. Okay. I don't think, I, I think we'd say, you know what, Michigan, you know, you, you've excluded us enough times. <laughs> uh, you know what, Wisconsin, I, I, I don't think that overall anybody wants to be a part of Wisconsin, although I'm a cheesehead, and so, you know, that, that disappoints me because I love the UP. But, um, but I, I just, I, I realize that we live in a terribly independent, self-reliant part of the country, Okay? But friends, there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Now you may say, preacher, I'm going to argue with you because I am a lone ranger Christian. No, I'm saying it's not supposed to be that way. That's not how you were designed. That wasn't and is not God's plan for your life. But I can't tell you how many times we connect with people as a church and they begin to come and start to get connected in and then all of a sudden, inexplicably, they stop coming to church. You reach out to them. You, you, you call them. You talk to them. You see them. You write them emails. You drop them a card. And literally, there there's no offendedness. They're not going to another church. They just stop being part of any church. They're a lone ranger. They're just out there on their own trying to be what God has created them to be without being part of the church. It's as if they they do not believe that they're part of the body of Christ. It's like they believe that they stand alone. They don't need anybody else. They somehow believe that Jesus and me, we got our own thing going on. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 12, 18 and 27 he said just as a body the one has many parts but it, it but all its many parts form one body so it is with Christ Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. In verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. I have to tell you, God does not violate his own word. He doesn't do it. He has declared that in coming to Christ, you are a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of his church and when we separate ourselves and we become a lone ranger, I'm telling you, God doesn't make special deals. I've had people say that to me. God and I, we just got got this thing going on where I just do what I want, and he says it's okay. Really? You think I'm joking? They say it with a straight face. They believe it. God doesn't make those kinds of special deals. He doesn't violate his word. Imagine your foot. Look down at your foot. Some of you got open toes on. You can really see those toes really good. Look down at your foot. Could you imagine your foot saying to you, I don't need you. I don't need you. Cut me off. I don't need you. Think about that. How stupid is that? Here's what I would say to my foot. Dummy, dummy, do you not realize that the leg swings you to take a step? Your foot's looking up at at your your eyes and saying, they're not doing anything. Are Are you with me here? Are you following what I'm saying? They don't see the eyes. You're not hitting the pavement every time we take a step. You're not doing anything. And the eyes are saying, foot, I'm the one that tells you where to land. Are you with me? When we we think of ourselves as, you know what, I don't don't need to be part of the church. It's like a foot telling the eyes, I don't need you. And it's, it's ludicrous when we think of it in terms of our human body, but yet it's completely acceptable in the spiritual body of Christ. Well, they just don't think they need to be a part of a body. Number three, we need to be our part. need to be my part. I just love it when you ask your kids to do something and they respond with, how come they don't have to do anything? (laughs) Have you ever had that? There are parents elbowing kids in the room right now. (laughs) Did you hear that? (laughs) How come they, they don't have to do anything Ever. I have to do everything all the time. I've still got a teenager. I, it's just amazing. And, and in the church, we get so caught up with being compared with everyone else and we forget to just be what God has called us to be. We look at someone else in the church and we say, how come they're not... Picking up tables. How come they're not moving the chairs? How come? How come they're not working in the nursery? I am. We we get so caught up in comparing ourselves with them that we for and and being worried about doing that we forget about being. We need to be who God has called us to be. Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 12, we have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. But in other words, be who God made you to be within the context of his church, within the body of Christ. Man, we need to be what God has created us to be for his glory and for his honor. So I'm going to end with this last point. Why do I function? Why do I, why is it important for me to function? Why do I need to function? I want to just share a a personal thing with you this morning. Um, A couple Sundays ago um, after church, I don't I don't know what it was. I just know that um, I I just had pain on the left side, stretching from my pectoral all the way down, like, you know, to the left of my stomach. Just my whole left side. I cannot explain it. But um, I am not a sit-down and kind of guy, okay? I just am not. I'm sorry. But before I left this building, I had to sit down because something did not feel right, okay? And, and for me, in where I am right now, um, being seven months out from open heart surgery, I'm a little sensitive to stuff on my left side, because inside that left side, there is a muscle that I'm really concerned about that I want to make sure is okay. And, and I, how many of you can relate? I'm not a going to the doctor kind of guy. Anybody like that? Okay, man, I went, I went a lot of years without going to the doctor. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. And, and I'm I, literally, I'm like, I, I got to go to the doctor. On Monday, I'm like, I got to go to the doctor. Finally, Tuesday morning, I called my doctor and I said, hey, you know, I, I this is Kevin Taylor, um, you know, the guy on the billboards. And, and I, <laughs> I would never say, I would never do that. I would never do that. <laughs> I would never do that. And i said i i i I had open heart surgery in January, and I just got this weird feeling on my left side, and I don't know what it is, and i I'm not the type to just come in, but I kind of wonder, could you fit me in the li- i've never okay um I've never heard this before. Yes, we can get you in. Can you be here at one o'clock? I mean, she was like. A cat on a hot tin roof, you know. She, because of the symptoms I was describing to her and my what I'd come through. I mean, she's like, you got to get in here right now. So they, they, uh, I, I got in. I saw the doctor, and and the doctor said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna uh, schedule you for um, uh, for a stress. EKG, a stress echocardiogram. Okay, and I wasn't too afraid because I had heard months ago that I was probably going to have to have one of these, but I didn't know all what it was. But I'm kind of an overachiever, so I, I look anything that's a test, I look forward to. Okay, that's just me. <laughs> that's just how I am. That's how I'm made. That's how God made me. And so, um, and I'm thinking, okay, this was Tuesday. I'm thinking, and I'm telling my doctor, I said I'm running the Marquette half on Saturday. I'd love to get this done before Saturday. You realize how stupid that is, right? My doctor said if they can't get their poster child in this week, something's wrong. <laughs> and they set up an appointment for the next day, and I go in there, and I... And, and, and I I asked a friend of mine here from the church, Rudy, who's a cardiologist. I said, you know, what's this gonna be? And 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 he said, Well, they're gonna take 220 and they're gonna they're gonna subtract your age, which is fifty-four, then they're gonna multiply it times 0.8 something. And for me, the magic heart rate number that they wanted to get me at is 141 beats a minute. And I said, That's not good enough. I did. I said it's not good enough. I said you're going to do a test on me at 141 beats a minute, but I said my daily life takes me to places where I'm in the 180s every day. Okay? So I need to know that my that this is going to work, okay? So what can you get me to? She said the max that they will allow us to get you to is 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 a, in the 160s, she said. So they 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 they, they bring you in, they give you an ultrasound, and then they put you on the treadmill. You got 12 leads hooked up on your chest, and and I looked like a a patchwork quilt. You know, they're shaving, you know, all your chest hair off, and and, um, it was terrible. So I get in, I get on that treadmill, and every three minutes, it gets higher and faster. And so in 12 minutes, I am running, okay? I am running within 12 minutes, it was harder it was harder in a lot of ways than anything I've I've done just because it it's so steep and you're running you you they don't slow it down because they're getting paid by the hour and they want to get this thing done. <laughs> okay? And so they get it they get you up there and they got and and literally you jump off the treadmill when they say done. And you lay down on the bed again and they do another ultrasound while your heart is beating at that many minute at that many beats a minute. So, at 169, which wasn't what my goal was, but that's all they would let me do. I jump off, they put that ultrasound on there again, they pump bubbles into you so they get a little better contrast of the wall of your heart and 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 they take a look at it. And I had a question. My question was, is the function of my heart normal? Because if I'm going to go out there every day and do the things that I do, I need to know that my heart is functioning properly. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the heart of the church. And Jesus has carried out his function. Jesus, and I I talked to the worship team this morning about this. I said, we skip over that Jesus lived as a man. But he was God. He is God. He lived in heaven and God the Father said, I got this bright idea. You're not going to be in heaven here as God. You're going to go to earth and lay down your godness and live as a man. Bummer. Jesus did it anyway. He died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. Jesus is the heart of the church. And as I began to think about Our function. Why do we as the church need to function properly? It's because we are the hope of the world. Are you with me? We're the hope of the world. That heart, our heart, it needs to function. It needs to function properly were the hope Jesus willingly carried out his function and as the church we've been clearly told what our function is so the question is am i carrying out my function i thankfully i learned on thursday that my heart was functioning normal i was so glad i was so thrilled why because it tells me something about what my my heart is like, what what my vessels are like, what my arteries are like, I can have confidence. You and I, we are the hope of the world. Are we functioning properly? Are we functioning the way we've been called to? Are we functioning the way we've been gifted? Are we carrying out our function? When Jesus was in the garden, the night he was arrested, he prayed this, He said, God, if there's any way that I can get out of this, I'd rather not go through it. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. He said, God, I am willing to function in the way that you have called me to function no matter what it costs me. And today I believe that God, through His Holy Spirit, is asking the church, Are you willing to function as I have called you to function, as I have gifted you to function? Are you willing to give cheerfully and abundantly? Are you willing to serve others without hesitation? Are you willing to function? My question to you today is not corporately, but it's individually are you willing to function?